Praise God. I, I think uh, even as we have uh, sung this morning, it'll fit well with what we're talking about today from the book of Matthew. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> I realize there are many different reasons that you have rolled into church today. Uh, we show up to church for a lot of different reasons. For some of you, you've been going to this church for a very long time. And for others of you, this is your first Sunday. Uh, maybe you came with family and friends and uh, we're happy that you're here. I, I want you to know, I want you to know that uh, there's a plan of God always. Uh, I think sometimes we uh, think often about our own decisions and what we're going to do. And then we just find ourselves in a place where we didn't want to be, but God wanted us to be, and it was part of His plan. Uh, and maybe that's you this morning. Uh, we we come to church for many different reasons. Uh, I, I've heard many times people tell me that they come for their kids, uh, and that's good. I praise God for parents like you that say that this is important for my kids, and so I'm going to get them there. Uh that's awesome. Uh, that's an important role that God has play, uh, placed you in. Even as I shared with the kids that uh, God has entrusted to you a gift. But he's also entrusted to you a responsibility in that. So you might come to church today for the kids. For others, it's just the thing you do. You grew up uh, going to church and Sunday morning would feel weird uh, if you were out uh, raking leaves or mowing your lawn, or cutting your weeds, I guess, uh, in Tehachapi. We don't really do lawns all that much. Um, or doing work around the house. And some of you may be just trying to get out of that work around the house. And so uh, you say, let's go to church this morning. Um, others of you might come to a church like this because you just like to. You like to. You like the people there. Uh, you like coming. It makes you feel good. Uh, there's a sense of encouragement in a discouraging world. And so you come. Uh, and that's good as well. I hope that that is a true uh, Bear Valley Church, that this is a place where you can be encouraged uh, and, and like coming. Others uh, still might come because you like the music uh, and you enjoy. Uh, we don't have this music every week. Uh, we have different music, but I hope that you always enjoy the music and are encouraged. Um, I especially like that little guitar that Jim was playing. Like, what is that thing called? It hasn't grown up yet. I know. It's a mandolin. Uh, but uh, yeah, just beautiful, beautiful music. And uh, part of the reason I like music is because I'm not a musician. Uh, and uh, so I'm impressed and encouraged at people who can make things beautiful. Uh, where I've tried to play, and it's just it's just not meant for the Lord. You know, uh, uh, when I play instruments, we play uh, for different reasons, and we come to God's uh, to God's place. This morning, I want to tell you that this is a sobering passage. A sobering passage. It's one where, as we read over it. It may bring up questions in your heart, questions of faith and questions about your relationship with him. I want to encourage you this morning. My prayer is not that uh, that that anything other than the work of God would go on, that you would have questions where he would want you to question and that you would want to have confidence where he desires for you to have confidence. And so uh, 
Let me, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. <clears throat> God's word says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I ask that uh, through your Holy Spirit, uh, this morning that you would do your work in our midst, that you would protect us from error, that you would cause us to uh, accept your message from your son, Jesus. And may we be thrilled that you're a God of grace and mercy and that you accept any one of us. God, we thank you. We ask that you would help us discern in our own hearts where we stand with you. We thank you for this time, and we ask your blessing on your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you read this passage, uh, maybe this is a challenge for you, even just at the reading of it. Uh, You hear these words, and you picture what's going on, and we'll just go through it, uh, really, word by word here. And Jesus shares in the midst, and he has already talked about um, really the the wide uh, the wide way and the narrow way. The, the idea that there is a specific path to go on, a gate to go through, and it's not just any old way. I know that that's the American way, the any old way, any uh, any way you can figure out how to do it or you want to do it. That's the way. It's your own idea. Go ahead, do it. Uh, Jesus has already talked about that as being different, that he has a singular way. Um, and as we look at this, we realize that, uh, that even as he describes here, that, that he is not going to accept everyone into the kingdom of heaven. Listen to that. Hear that. That's what he said. I, it, he says, there's not everyone. Everyone might say, everyone might say, but not everyone will be accepted. As you hear this message, uh, you might attribute it to this church or even to me. But I, I really want to tell you that this was written long before I ever existed. A twinkle in anybody's eye. Okay. And even before this church existed, Jesus spoke these words. And so the authority goes back to him as being the one singular message, the one that we should listen to this morning. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting, the the term Lord, you know, it's a word we use and it's a proper word. Uh, word to use of Jesus, that he is the one ruler. We accept him as the Lord of creation, the Lord of my life. And yet Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me the words, or even 
if I could say it this way, has the right answer. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we believe that there's some kind of uh, theology test to get into heaven. That we need to come up with the right answer. Uh, We remarked even as we went through our uh, Christmas pageant this year and we asked the, the little ones questions about Jesus and his coming. We could see the strained look on their faces where they were going, I gotta get the right answer on this one. We think that there's some kind of test and uh, we're used to studying hard and going, I gotta get the right answer. And Jesus points out in this amazing sermon where he says, Look, uh, not everyone who even has the right answer will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who acknowledges, at least with their mouth, just saying, Lord, Lord, calling on Him as Lord, Lord, is a resident of heaven. This morning, you may wonder, uh, what, what are we talking about? What, what is the purpose? Is, is this a, one of those theological messages that will stir, stir our minds and hearts and we'll just kind of think about it during the week? No, this is a message of eternity, eternity. Um, It's interesting to me in our culture today, and and I would include myself in this. uh, We get stressed out about so many things that don't matter at all. Don't matter at all. Uh, I buckled like a house of cards uh, this Christmas time, and I got a. I allowed our family to have a puppy. And that stupid thing will just bark and bark and bark. And I can feel myself just tensing up and going, how do you get that thing to be quiet? You know, you feel yourself stressing. Others of us stress about our work. Others stress about our jobs. Others stress about our third grade child's homework. Or what's for lunch. Uh, We stress out about so many different things. And some of you, even me bringing up stress is stressing you out because you're stressing out. You're thinking you have a list in your mind. You know, I was fine until he started saying stress. And then I started stressing. I want to tell you that that this is the most important thing of your lifetime. This is there's no more important issue than the state of your soul forever. And so Jesus brings us to this important, important discussion. This this where will you spend your eternity? And as he shares this with them, he says, it's not just having the right answer of saying, Lord, Lord. In fact, he goes on uh, to talk about, well, let me just continue to read. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. We'll come back to that. But verse 22, he describes these people who would say to him, Lord, Lord but still aren't entering the kingdom of heaven, what they would describe. And and he pictures 
this day, this day, this judgment day. And some are wondering, well, which judgment day, which particular? It's a personal thing. It's a personal thing of them before God. And this is what we need to prepare for. Prepare for. As you think about what it is, if you know there's a test coming, if you know there's some kind of event happening in the future, most of us would like to prepare for events. We like to know what it's going to be like. And Jesus says that on that day there will be some who say, Lord, Lord, and yet will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, this is what their argument will be for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He, He says this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? As you consider this prophecy, he doesn't describe any of these prophetic messages. This could be foretelling of what God is going to do. It is the idea of speaking for God. Did did I not prophesy in your name? And even the idea of prophecy in many places has the, the idea of some kind of supernatural message. Not just knowing what God had written down, but, but being able to foretell what God is going to do. And and these will come and some will say, Lord, Lord. And yet they'll say, did we not prophesy in your name? And not just that. Did we not cast out demons in your name? These that come are, are claiming, are claiming that they did things. Miraculous things, supernatural things. God God did great things through them. Did we not cast out demons? As you you picture and you see in the New Testament over and over again, there are those that are afflicted with demons and and Jesus' disciples would come and they they would remove them. and, And he says, did we not do that as well? These ones who say, Lord, Lord, did we not even cast out demons in your name? And then the third point uh, that they bring up in this list of works that they had done. Many mighty works. The idea of miracles. Miracles. Most likely supernatural things. Did we not do miracles in your name? Many mighty works. Many miracles, if you will. Not a description of what kind, but a general. This is what we have done. That's a pretty impressive list, isn't it? Prophecy. Removing demons from people. And miracles. That's an impressive list. And yet, it it shocks me as I read this, as I, I just read it, to say, He is describing those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who call out, Lord, Lord, and even have done. The two things they do, I want you to see this. It's what they say. They say something right. But then they even do something right. And yet, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Do you hear that? It's important for us to hear this morning. You see, false prophecy uh, removing demons and mighty works. You don't have to turn there, but if you'd like to, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it describes demonic uh, false miracles, okay? If you look at this, uh, uh, it describes a day that is coming and really the, the, the way the, the enemy works. He says, the coming of lawless, the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. False signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. I want to tell you that there can be deception in us, deceived. There can be false signs and wonders. It's interesting uh, that, that sometimes we describe things that we're like, I know for certain this is true because I had this, this experience. experience. And we think that experiences, experiences, that they are authoritative. That once I have this experience, uh, I saw this, I did this, I heard this voice, whatever. Then I know for certain everything's fine. And yet, what does Jesus say? Even some who would claim, would claim to have done great miracles will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's getting at something different here. And he says... I want to warn you. This is a a kind and gracious message from Jesus showing us and warning us of a possible deception and what it is to be his child. It's interesting that um, there's an emphasis in this passage on in your name, in your name. I did it all for you. I did it all for you. I was great for you, Jesus. I, I want to I warn us about something. Don't ever be great for God. Don't ever be great for God. Jesus doesn't need you to be great. In fact, he doesn't even want you to compete with him about being great. Because you know what? He's the only one that's great. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, uh, it, it describes the heart of man without God. And uh, it says that our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. The best we can do is filthy rags, apart from Him. He doesn't want us to be great. He wants himself to be great. You know why? Because he is. And you know why he doesn't want us to be great? Because we're not. He wants us to walk with him. To do his will, the will of the Father, even described here. We'll get to it in a moment. In the name of Jesus, and yet still 
even as they had called on the right name and said, Lord, Lord, identified Him properly, and even done amazing things in His name. Jesus has a response to this person, this this group, these everyone, or even maybe I could say what most people believe today. He says, if you look at uh, verse 23, he says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. If you can imagine uh, a concert, uh, a sporting event, where you're a spectator, and you're sitting with some friends, and and you uh, uh, remember an athlete on the field, or you... uh, uh, go to the concert and you you say, you know, I met that guy one time, the guy who's singing, the guy who's playing. Yeah, I, m- I met him once. You know, we were we were at Costco and uh, uh, I, I met him. I don't think many people, but I, that's the crowd I'm with today, the Costco crowd, right? Uh, I, I met him. Hey, hey, let's go up afterwards and talk to him because I know him. I know him. This is the picture of, of Jesus' response. Everyone wanting to call, and especially on a day like this, a judgment day, right? How do I get into the the kingdom of heaven? Let's go to the front. Jesus will surely let me in because I know him. You know, I'll call him the right name. I'll call him the right name. And I got a list of things that I did in his name. He will certainly be impressed and let me in. And yet Jesus says, my response will be this. Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, um, th- this idea of, of Jesus knowing us is kind of hard for us to imagine. Uh, how many of you have a pretty good memory for people in your past? I do as well. I do as well. I, I remember weird situations and just conversations I had long time ago and even uh it's somewhat creepy for some of you here you know uh, uh many years ago and i'll say remember when we were and you'll go why do you remember that i don't remember that i do though <laughs> maybe it's what you said but um um some of us don't have a very good memory there are things that come up and 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 we go, I, I don't remember you. Uh, it's it's pretty rough as a uh, old youth pastor when uh, someone in their 20s comes up to you and says, do you remember me? No. I rarely say that, but uh, yeah, um, because they've changed and I forget. And there's this uh, limitation of me. And so sometimes as we look at this idea of, Jesus saying, I never knew you. We go, what do you mean? I thought he was, I thought he knew everything. And, and the idea of him not knowing one of his creations and not knowing everybody in the world, that doesn't make sense. His point here is this. It's not that he doesn't know your name. He doesn't know where you're from. He doesn't know all about your life. What he's saying is, we don't have a relationship. You're not part of my family. One writer said it like this. He said, we were never friends. We were never friends. 
And you say, boy, that sounds really exclusive. It is, but it isn't. What this is contingent upon is is your life and and your relationship. And, And Jesus is not one that says, you cannot come. You cannot come. But he's also one that says, you must come. You must come. He says, I never knew you. You you and I were never friends. And then he he describes one one other thing of the reason why. He says, uh, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness. Uh, The idea of the workers of lawlessness is the habitual, continual, sinful life. That one lives. It's not someone who did one thing one time. It's not the the uh, occasional error, if you will. You know, I I, I did my best, but you know, uh, he's pointing out two things here. I, I want you to get both of them. It's a pattern of one's life as lawlessness, but it's also, as he has said before, it's not the good works that you do. Okay. Get that together. Those are very important because some of you will say, well, it's not by works. You know, I, I haven't I haven't claimed that it's uh, these these good things that I've done, I, these sermons I've preached or these uh, amazing things that I've done in his name. I'm not claiming that. So it doesn't matter. And yet Jesus point is that your life is marked by lawlessness. And you say, well, I haven't done everything. You know, I, I, I shouldn't go to prison for what I've done. Oh, maybe maybe your sins are just the acceptable ones, at least in our culture. Of greed. Of lying. Of pride. Lust. And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This morning, as... Uh, we have to ask this question, then who will enter? Who will enter? Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? If it's not having a right answer, if it's not doing a bunch of things, well, then what is it? I want to, um, I want to, before I get into this, I want to focus in again on Jesus' answer. The, so much of the time we focus on whether we have received Jesus. But in this passage, it's not about us receiving Jesus. It's about him receiving us. And, and you get this picture of the rejection of Jesus at the door. Him saying, no, I don't know you. And this morning, what we should be concerned with is, will he receive us at the door? Will he say, come on in? I've been waiting for you. I'm excited that you're here. My child. And some of you say, well, I don't have time to do it. What are you so busy with if you don't have time for this right now? What's so important Life is all about priorities and there's nothing more important right now. 
So, uh, who will enter? Who will he receive? Who will he receive? I'll say it this way. Those who have been personally transformed. Personally transformed. As you look back up at uh, verse 21, he said, But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of my Father. What that is, what that is, and, and when you think of will, most of the time we use it in our culture as our own will. It's what I want to do. I do what I want to do. Uh, it's kind of been a, a rallying cry, especially for the youth. I do what I want. I do what I want. Well, good for you. Good for you. Bully for you. Jesus says the one who will enter the kingdom of heaven ones who do not not their own will, but the will of the Father. The will of the Father. This is what's so important for us to acknowledge. It's not about doing. It's about submissive. It's about turning over our will. Stop living for our own will and living in relationship with Jesus who did the will of His Father. He calls us to do the same. And what happens here is this. It's not just simply an act of us changing our will. It's us calling upon the name of Jesus for Him to do it for us. We're too stubborn. We're too stubborn to give that up alone. You see, the picture there is of one who has been transformed by the gospel. Uh, Some of you have been, maybe your whole life, You've been running on the wheel. You've been running on the wheel. And at times you just sit down and you say, I'm too tired to do what's right. And then, then you go, nope, I, I'm going to be good. And you hop up and you start running. And you, you're frustrated because you feel like you're not getting anywhere because you're, you're not. And so you try to run harder. And, and it's exhausting. You fall down and you fall and, and you say, well, I'm going to just keep running because that's my will. I'm going to do it. And Jesus says, no. He says, it's not about what you do. It's about your humble submission to me and the transformation of your heart that takes, that produces of your will being uh, changed into the will of the Father. And this is the one that he will receive. He will receive. The one who does the will of the Father. It's not on what I have done, but it's what he has done in me. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. I want to show this to you. What this looks like uh, to come to know Jesus. For him to... uh, be the one that has marked and changed you and fit you for heaven. This is why we're here this morning. I hope that you're here to be a good person. I hope that you're here to be a good husband, a good father. Uh, I, I hope you're here to be a better neighbor, especially if you live in my neighborhood. But apart from you being fit for heaven, all those other things are worthless. Worthless. In Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 8, it says that, but, but what does it say? 
the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaimed. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches upon all who call on him. And then it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He speaks of both the heart and the mouth, the heart and the mouth, the inward and the outward. And it's the same message. It's the same message. And it's this. It's confessing a belief in Jesus as the risen Lord and Savior. It's confessing. It's confessing both in your inward heart, in your inward heart and your outward mouth. It's not just the message that says, Lord, Lord. It's a message that's connected with your heart and your inward being of belief of faith, of trusting Him. It's the most important thing that you need to believe. It's the most important thing that you need to confess. That Jesus Christ, the the Savior, He's your Lord and Savior. Confess that. I want to point something out to you that connects with our passage this morning. In verse 11, And everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Put to shame. What Jesus has described in Matthew chapter 7, it sounds to me like the most embarrassing rejection ever. And it is. It is. It's to think I'm okay. I, I, Lord, Lord, I, you know, I, I've done all these great things. I, I enter into heaven because of what I have done, because what I have said. And you get up to the, before Jesus and he says, who, who are you? Depart from me. I never knew you. The ultimate rejection. We've all experienced rejection, right? The embarrassment. That feeling, you know, most of us uh, had it when we were very small. We are going into a store trying to buy candy. We counted out the pennies, right? We counted out the pennies. We had it all figured out. And then we realized there's tax involved. We didn't have enough. We didn't have enough. Rebecca shared with me just yesterday that uh, being from Oregon where there's no sales tax, it, it was much later in life where she was embarrassed like that. <laughs> we, we, we know what that is, right? We, we've, had, we've had friends that we wanted to be friends with that they, they said, we're not friends. It feels awful. We've had family members reject us but I want to tell you, it's nothing, nothing compared to what Jesus described. An eternal rejection. Depart from me. We've never been friends. 
But what does it say in Romans? Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Everyone. Everyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus will not be put to shame. Everyone who has a relationship with Him that's born out in the transformation of their life on that day, whenever that day comes, right? Whether we die here soon, today, or if the Lord returns and we're very aged and we live to be 140 you see the coming of the Lord. In, in all these things, there will be no shame for those who believe in Jesus. The last thing I want to point out, and this is with confidence, you can say this. This is confidence. It's super important to have confidence in this one, right? Uh, there are plenty of things you may have a strong opinion about, but you really don't know. You don't know what the future holds. You may have studied really hard many different things, but you go, I don't know. I don't have time to figure all that stuff out. This is not one of those issues that you can fail to not have confidence in where you're going after the end of this life. But I want you to get the words uh, Paul wrote. First of all, in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's confidence. That's true of you. If in your heart and in your mouth, the the thing that you confess, if you believe in Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, that's the one you believe in. That's the one you're trusting in, that your soul is right. You will be saved. Because it says also in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Except if you've been really bad. No. Except for the people who lie to their parents. No. Except for the really, really proud. No. In fact, that's every one of us. Except for the murderer, except for the adulterer, idolater. No. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. They will be saved. Some of you have had your own way, a different way. And I just want to tell you, if you've been trying the prideful way, you've been trying to do things for God for a long time. You might even say, well, this is the way... This is the way I do things. I'm just, you know, I'm an overachiever. I can do things that other people can't do. And so I'm going to do these things for God. I want to say the things that you're doing, you're doing all wrong. It's wrong. Others of you, you say, well, I kind of have my own way on this deal. Like, uh, I, I was raised a certain way that this is the way we do and think. I have my own way of spirituality. Um, and I just kind of make it up as I go along. I, I want to tell you, you're not qualified. You're, you're, you're not qualified to make your own way. Be fearful of the words coming from Jesus. I never knew you. I never knew you. And lastly, I just want to call out to you. Quit going the wrong way. 
quit going the wrong way. This morning is your time that I want to encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus. You say, well, it seems so complicated. It's not. In fact, you know, described in Romans, calling upon the name of the Lord. You know what that call is? I need help. I'm a sinner. I need help. I need Jesus, who's both Savior, the one who saved me from my sins, and Lord over all of creation, and needs to be Lord of my life. This is the Jesus we call upon Him. And this is what it is to be saved. Please bow with me. Before I pray, um, I don't want to manipulate anyone, but I do want you to think... um, If you don't know Jesus here this morning, maybe you've been playing a game or maybe you just haven't thought about it. Other things have been more important to you. I want to encourage you to take this time today to call on the name of the Lord in your heart. And then as you do, I want to encourage you to call and tell people about it. Tell people that God's done a work in my heart. He's done a work in me. I've called upon his name. I confess that he is my Lord, my Savior, the one who rose from the dead. God, I ask that you would do your work in us right now. I ask that you would uh, call people to yourself even right now. God, I ask that you would fit our hearts, cement our relationships with you, your son Jesus, in such a way where this passage has nothing to do with us, that we will not be rejected, but that we, in faith, will be entering into your kingdom. God, thank you for each one here. I ask that your work, your work of peace, would continue to go on. I ask that you would grant great confidence for those who know you. And I ask that you would continue to draw those who don't. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.